0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three of Stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. It ended well. <laughs> McCourt for the win. In the yeah. air. Yeah. It is. 16 pressure has comes, and Matt Baby with the ball in the air, makes the catch! Welcome to Oski Talk. I'm Drew Pastoric. Now, normally I do the intro and I say, oh, hey, I'm going to review the past week in Fighting Illini Sports. And, you know, there's a laundry list of things that are on the table. Not going to do that this week. There was really only one dominant story, and that was the Illinois-Iowa men's basketball game. There were some other things that happened, but I'm going to focus mainly on that from Saturday. Because there was obviously a lot that preceded the game that we need to talk about as well. And then I'll break down the game and and sort of lead us down the path of where to go next, you know, what's on the horizon. I will talk a little bit about the, the women's basketball team. They had a couple of games this week. Um, obviously, men's basketball had a game earlier in the week, a victory against... Nebraska, but that was just kind of a nothing burger, like Illinois won a game they should have won, had some struggles, but wound up winning rather comfortably, and thought it was just going to be a nice, easy breezy week heading into Iowa, and that certainly, uh, for reasons outside of the basketball team's control, did not happen. So most of the show today is going to be dedicated to the... Iowa-Illinois men's basketball game. That's the thing that's on most people's minds at this point anyway, right? I mean, it was a very thrilling, entertaining game. And I think quite a few folks lost sight of that because of all the shenanigans that were going on or all the behind the scenes things that were going on. I'm glad that the players and the coaches didn't seem to be really affected by it. It was mostly just jousting back and forth between media and fans. It didn't have any meaningful consideration when it came to the game itself. The way these two teams have played each other of late, it was certainly a game that both teams wanted to have. And both teams seemed to be locked in. Now, maybe it's because of what went on prior, you know, the the stuff that happened earlier in the week, which I'm going to get to in a second. Um, But those things, that story and the aftermath of that certainly, in my opinion, changed the complete mood and tenor of the game. Shifted from just a game you want to have, a game you'd feel good about winning, to a game they cannot lose. At least from a fan's point of view. Oh, Alright, so I'm glad most of this is is over and done with now, I hope. But before I get talking about the game itself and the rivalry and you know, kind of what's ahead... Got to talk about the events leading up to the game on Saturday. Noah Cowell did summarize things pretty well at thechampagneroom.com. I can't imagine you have not heard about the story by now. Um, I'll give you like the Reader's Digest kind of version. Orange Crush had purchased 200 tickets to the game in October surreptitiously. They ordered them under the guise of a Boys and Girls Club, and nothing came of it until Wednesday. Iowa's Athletic Department reached out to a chapter of the Boys and Girls Club. Which chapter? We don't really know. I'm assuming Champagne. Gary Barta, Iowa's AD, said it was Rockford. So who really knows? But nonetheless, Iowa's athletic department, someone there reached out to a chapter of the Boys and Girls Club, and whoever was talking to them didn't really know what Iowa was talking about. You know, we didn't order any tickets, blah, whatever. Um, so they contacted the uh, the chair of Orange Crush, I guess, or whoever the, uh, the kid was that had ordered the tickets, and he had sort of confessed, like, yeah, it wasn't really – them. It was us. So Iowa finds out about the ruse. They revoke the tickets. They were told that if Orange Crush showed up with those tickets, they'd be invalidated. So nice way to find that out, you know, three days before the game. Okay. So Crush puts out a statement on Wednesday calling out Iowa, stating that the AD and his staff were fearful of the Crush, fearful of looking embarrassed and that's why they pulled the tickets because they didn't want to look like a bunch of bozos when the orange crush shows up and unveils themselves. They didn't want to look bad, so Iowa pulled their PR card and and pulled the tickets. Iowa answered with his own statements, you know, making themselves look as noble as possible that we found out that. This was not factual. We stepped in and we did the right thing. We refunded their money, but uh, you will see no Illinois student section at this game. No, sir. Not going to happen on our watch. And so that's when all the stuff started rolling downhill. Crush did later put out a statement apologizing for misrepresenting themselves, apologized for what they said about Iowa, They shouldn't have brought specific individuals into the fray. And that should have been the end of it. That should have been the end of it. It was a prank that went wrong. It was a slight miscalculation strategically on the part of Orange Crush. It's really all it was. They, in the past, have done this. They've gone to other venues under false pretenses and revealed themselves to be Orange Crush later on. I think they did it at Purdue. Uh, I think they did it at Northwestern once. There's been other instances where it's happened. It's, it goes back like 25 years they've been doing this. Where they will surreptitiously buy tickets pretending to be a family reunion. Or they'll be a, uh, a different charity. A bogus charity. So it was a, it was a tactical mistake is really all it was. It was college kids pulling a prank. They got busted. And all's well that ends well, Iowa donates the tickets to the Boys and Girls Club of Cedar Rapids so some kids can enjoy the game. It's fine. But Iowa would not let this shit go. They would not let it go. Iowa fans were so aggrieved by this, like, how dare you besmirch the integrity of the University of Iowa, how dare you do this In the name of children, don't you know who we are? We're Iowa. We care more about children than anybody. Nobody loves children more than we do at the University of Iowa. We have a children's hospital next to our football field. How dare you use those kids as pawns in your story? And then Iowa went on to use those kids as a pawn in their story, trotting them out at half court, which they've never done like in any other game I've ever been to football, basketball. They've never done that. They might have acknowledged that they were in the crowd or in attendance Maybe before the game, like they do a kid captain thing for football games and they do the wave. They do that at the football games. Oh, that's fine. They've never done this before. And like, these are just kids. They're trying to have a good time and enjoy the game. And you're like, ha, look at these kids. Look at these great kids from the boys and girls clubs of Cedar Rapids. Aren't we so nice to these kids forget about that other school that clearly hates children look how much we love children like oh my god could you be any more obvious like anyone who's not an iowa fan could see what they were doing but nope god forbid i call out iowa for their bullshit and their hypocrisy like Whatever Illinois did in this situation, whatever Illinois did, I promise you, Iowa looks worse than Illinois does. Like, yes, Crush did something dumb. Their statement was a little whiny, a little childish. But that's it. Like, they were trying to pull a fast one on Iowa. Iowa figured it out. And they... Put a stop to it, and that was it. Like, it didn't need to go any further than it did. These Iowa fans, holy shit, man. Like, all of the Twitter law school graduates came out talking about how Orange Crush is going to be arrested for charity fraud, and they should get, they should be prepared to. Give depositions and they should go to prison. And, like, what the actual fuck is wrong with you? Like, what are you talking about? Think about what you're saying. You want to arrest a group of college kids. Like, it was a little white lie. And Iowa decided to be petty, which I can appreciate on some level. They decided to be petty and not allow the crush to go in. That's fine, but don't act like, because there were reactions like, well, what? why didn't they just say they were Orange Crush? You think the Iowa Athletic Department's going to let the Orange Crush just waltz in and buy tickets as Orange Crush? Of course they're not going to do that. They have to conceal their identity. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to do the secret road trip. It's a secret because they can't reveal... The secret. I know Iowa's a safety school for a lot of y'all, but you should know what secret means. If they'd have just called themselves holy shirts and pants, this all could have been avoided. So that's all this was. Iowa fans are trying to turn a prank into, like, a federal hearing. They're treating Orange Crush like it was a Chinese spy balloon. We're not talking about January 6th. We're talking about February 4th. Get over yourselves. Like, I was so high and mighty about this. Like, this was such an overblown non-story. I'm not even mad about the ticket piece of it. I'm not even mad about that. Because, yeah, they're not going to let Orange Crush in if Orange Crush just tries to buy tickets as themselves. I'm cool with that. Not even mad about that. I'm mad about the reaction to what transpired. It's like the most ridiculous overreaction to anything I've maybe ever seen. Like, are you that lame? Are you that soft? And that was mostly Illinois' reaction, like our fans or media people, like, Iowa looks really soft. No, we don't. We're not soft. You're soft. You hate children. You're not. You're not soft. We're soft. Wait, no, wait. You know, no, no, you're soft. See? I have all these tweets that I'm tweeting that tweet about how soft you are. Like, I almost wanted to retire from Twitter after Saturday night. Like, so many stupid people just responding and it's like you think it can't get any more obnoxious and boop, there's another one there's another one there's another one i was in message board hell <laughs> for like 12 hours I'm like good on you good on you y'all won the game i'm glad those kids had a good time but let's not act like iowa is some paragon of virtue okay okay They did a little troll job, it's cool. It was clearly to spite the Illini and Orange Crush. It's obvious that's what they were doing. So I called them out on it and then I hate children. That means I hate children. Sure, whatever makes you sleep better, I guess. Half your fans care more about a goddamn ice cream cone than what's actually happening during the game. And your own fan site, GoldPants, said the same damn thing before y'all start coming at me about hashtag CarverCones. Worry about your own fans buying tickets to the game. Worry about your own fans showing up instead of pitching a fit when some other group of fans try to show up. Like ESPN did a piece about it during college game day. Of course, you know, Benetti's gonna talk about it during the game on Fox, but they did a really nice job of just treating it for what it was. It was a fun thing. Nobody got hurt. Nobody died. Crush didn't try to bomb the children's hospital. It was a it was meant to be a lighthearted prank. It wasn't hurting anybody. There was no malice behind it. And Iowa fans are wanting to lock up these fucking kids. Like, wow, man. But nope, you're not soft at all. I wonder how many Iowa Hawkeye fans started Googling 501c3. (laughs) Like, my God. They're acting like the Iowa Athletic Department was the U.S. Coast Guard, and they intercepted a freight liner full of cocaine (laughs) like like, it's just the most preposterous thing uh and thumpasaurus at our brother site off tackle empire he pretty much wrapped this up in a nice little ball too but i have a podcast so i'm gonna vent about it because i can again like i'll tweet stuff out of anger or rage or I'll, i'll try to be funny But at the end of the day, I don't take myself all that seriously. This is mostly an entertainment vehicle for me, for you, for us at the champagne room. Remember when we could do that and tell jokes and no one got pissed off? That was a great time. Like I tweeted about, I'm glad I wasn't at the game because I'd probably be in prison. And I had like a string of people responding to it. Like for what? Pedophilia? How about you cry some more? And then somebody sent me a photo, a drawing of Herky Hawkeye with an erect penis. Like, that's certainly one way to respond to that. Like, A, who would even draw that? And B, why would you share it on Twitter? Glad you deleted the tweet, but screenshots live forever, bro. Like, again, no matter what Illinois did or the crush, I shouldn't say Illinois, whatever the crush did, it's really not that big of a deal. And don't get it twisted. Don't mistake what I'm saying. The crush are not really victims in this situation. It sucks what happened, but they, you know, got their money back. Cams donated the money to offset the lost money, the sunk costs of, you know, charter buses and all that stuff. But crush aren't really victims. They got caught. They got punished for what they did. And it's fine. They're not victims, but they aren't villains either. Let's just relax, put away the torches and the pitchforks, have a little bit of a sense of humor. Mark Morehouse, who covers the Hawkeyes for The Athletic, referred to the whole thing as misdemeanor cheese dickery, (laughs) which I think is probably the best description. That's all it was. It didn't need to go as far as it went on either side. All right, so now that all of that is out of the way, hopefully I'll never have to talk about this again, although I'm sure for the next nine days I'll get Iowa fans continuing to tweet about how they don't care about it. Uh, Let's talk about the game, because the game was actually very compelling, very... Dramatic, very intense. It was emblematic of what this rivalry's been the last couple of years. A lot of back and forth action. Again, it was a very exciting game. Two teams that came out with a lot of energy really wanted it. Iowa was on the winning side, 81 to 79. So Illinois dropping to 16 and 7 overall, 7 and 5 in the Big Ten. Iowa improving to 7 and 5 in the Big Ten. So Illinois did have an opportunity, and Purdue lost later in the day. Uh, Illinois had a chance to possibly be like two games out of first place. Um, so they're they're still kind of sitting where they were, but Illinois and Iowa both had really been on a nice tear. Iowa started the Big Ten season 0-3. They had won six of eight entering Saturday. Illinois had won seven of eight after starting 0-3. Uh, I think the comparison of the resumes is slightly different. Uh, you know, the uh the TV folks at Fox tried to, you know, make it look like it was the same 0-3 and and the same signature wins. It's really not. Iowa's got a nice win over Iowa State, and they have a a nice win over Clemson. But one of those losses that Iowa sustained was to Eastern Illinois, one of the worst teams metrically in college basketball. Illinois had some blemishes for sure, losing to Maryland and Penn State, and Missouri, and Northwestern, but none of those losses were as bad as Iowa's loss to EIU. And the signature wins that Illinois has had outside of the conference, (coughs) excuse me, UCLA and Texas, are far better than beating Clemson and Iowa State. Nonetheless, resumes were fairly similar coming in. Illinois had won five in a row in the rivalry. Uh, And and rivalry, I want to bring that up, too, because I do applaud Iowa for at least acknowledging Illinois as a rival. We went back to that discussion from a couple weeks ago of Indiana sort of dismissing Illinois as an actual rival. They've got Purdue, certainly, as their primary rival, and some other teams that they might hate more than Illinois in the grand scheme of things. Maybe Illinois views Indiana as a rival, but that's not necessarily reciprocated. Iowa and Illinois do consider themselves rivals. Um, similar to what Illinois did prior to the IU game, where they put together like a video package of some of the memorable moments of those games. Iowa did that on Saturday. I really did a good job with that, you know, showing uh, some of the Hawkeye highlights over the years versus Illinois. Uh, So at least I will say that Iowa did do a, a pretty cool thing there with that acknowledgement that this is a rivalry. Clearly there's been some emotional matchups between the two, uh, there were some matchups in this game I was interested in seeing. Dane Danger versus Philip Rebracha was one of them. I had brought that up last week on the show that I, I didn't think Rabracha was really going to stand in Dane Danger's way too much. That was a matchup I was uh, I was thinking that Illinois had an advantage in. And for the most part, that was true. Dane Danger finishing with 17 points, 9 rebounds. Rabracha had 13 points and 2 rebounds. So I think that, you know, head-to-head, head, they weren't on the court at the same time as much as you would expect, but they, they did, uh, I think Dane Danger had the advantage there with his size and uh, his athletic ability. Um, he did out-duel Rebracha in that sense. Very competitive first half. Illinois had a one-point lead, which was notable because in the last minute of the first half, Illinois was up by seven, I think. And then Illinois got called for a goaltend. Then the Illini rushed a three, which then led to another scoring chance for Iowa. Keegan, or uh, sorry, Chris Murray hits a three. At the end of the half, to cut the lead to one. So there was like a six point swing in that last minute or so of the first half. Um, Would have had, you know, would have given Illinois a little bit of cushion. Uh, The main story wound up being fouls and free throws, but Tony Perkins had a hell of a game. Tony Perkins, who's typically kind of a role player maybe a little bit more than that but you know generally he'll get you you know 10 12 13 points a night he went off for 32 against Illinois 8 of 11 from the field 15 out of 16 from the free throw line uh, so again as the game wore on that was the predominant story was who was available who wasn't available How many free throws were these teams getting? How many fouls were whistled on them? Um, TSJ, Meyer, Danger, and Ty Rogers each had four fouls at various points. TSJ fouled out very late, like the last minute or so. Um, But 43 fouls, 43 fouls whistled between the two teams. The free throw discrepancy, Illinois had 23 in the game, Iowa had 30, so I mean, it's not like it was a chasm it wasn't Northwestern getting you know 40 and Illinois getting 10, it wasn't that, so I, I thought the free throw disparity, while that wound up being the ultimate difference in the game it wasn't like a dramatic difference, but 43 fouls whistled in general it ground that game to a halt, I was telling my wife, like we were two hours into that game, and there was still five minutes left. And it was still a very close game. And I was like, these last five minutes are going to take a half an hour. Like, it's going to be one of those games. It's going to be like a two-hour, 30-minute. And then if it went to overtime, it was going to be even longer. So, I mean, it, it was just – it turned into a ref show at times. Kind of ruined a lot of the action, a lot of the uh, you know the flow of the game. But I want to go back to that first half for just a second because I mentioned Illinois had a, a seven-point lead, dwindled down to one by the end of the half. There was a stretch where Iowa failed to score for almost seven minutes. And at the start of the game, that pace was definitely favoring Iowa, was definitely favoring the Hawkeyes. It was like, they were on pace for like a, 45 point half or something. I was like, this game's in the 80s and 90s. That definitely favors them. That's how Iowa plays. Number one offense in the Big Ten. They love to score points. That's their MO. That's what Fran McCaffrey likes to do. And for a while, Illinois kept up, but it just didn't seem like something the Illini could sustain. Defense got cleaned up a little bit in that first half. The game slowed down and Illinois was able to build that lead a little bit. Uh, but there was a stretch where the Hawkeyes did not score for almost seven minutes and Illinois scored only six points in that time. So they had a chance, again, to, to distance themselves, to build a cushion and really couldn't. But then the second half started – And Illinois kind of picked up where they left off. They were down 39-36. So Iowa got a couple of quick buckets. Illinois goes on an 11-0 run in about three minutes to go up eight. And we're thinking, okay, here it comes. Here it comes. And then the, uh, the referee stuff started. And I'm not saying it was tilted one way or the other. I'm just saying that's when we noticed the change. Because Iowa, Iowa scored forty-six points in the second half on eleven baskets. I mean, most of their output was from free throws, and uh, <clears throat> and they are a very and, and that's a a huge part of Iowa's game. I mentioned the points they score around eighty-one a game, and they wound up with exactly that on Saturday. I don't have the exact number. I'd have to go back and, and, and find it during the game. But they, uh, but Fox brought this up. They showed it on screen. I want to say when that graphic was put up, Iowa had made 354 free throws. I think 354 was was the amount, the number they showed. So Iowa had made 354 on the season while their opponents had only attempted... 277, 275, something like that. So, I mean, that that's allowed Iowa to score points and to win some of these games that maybe they wouldn't be in position to win. And they were certainly in position to do that. You know, give them credit. They were 26 out of 30 from the free throw line. Illinois was pretty good, too. Illinois shot... 23 free throws and made, I believe, 17. So 17 or 18 out of 23. Uh, so again, fairly balanced in the sense of the fouls that were called, when they were called, how they were called, That that's a little iffy to me. And there were some obvious misses on plays later in the game. Um, Ulis. Taking about eleven steps on an inbounds play, <laughs> Illinois always trapping him. You know, trying to get the ball back. They give Iowa the timeout, and you're like, his pivot foot's off the ground. He's just kind of scooting around the floor. He took it. It was certainly more than two, and like less than twelve. <laughs> like. I don't know how many steps there were, but it was certainly enough that you could call a travel. They did not. Uh, there was another moment. It was like the uh, the Miami play where you could review the ball going out of bounds, right? It was the Miami rule that worked against Illinois in this particular case. And um, There was a moment uh, Coleman Hawkins had gotten a rebound, and both teams are, are jostling for the ball. It was initially ruled off of Iowa, but then... You could see, you know, Coleman Hawkins was the last one to touch the ball. But he was the last one to touch the ball because he was getting his arm yanked as the as the play was wrapping up. And I don't know what the rule is. If you can like retroactively call a foul on a replay, I I don't honestly don't know. But that was a situation where you're like, come on, you can see it. It's plain as day. Murray pulled his arm down. That's a foul. And did not get that call. So there, there were some moments late in the game. And Illinois had missed some shots as well. Uh, Shannon missed a the layup. Uh, there was a, a couple of threes that, that went begging. Uh, so Illinois had a chance to make some shots as well uh, to win the game. Ultimately, they don't. Um, and Iowa prevails 81-79. Uh, but again, a very dramatic, very compelling game. Both fan bases were charged up. I think certainly the, uh, the ticket BS inflamed that, but a really great atmosphere, really great game to watch. And both teams wanted it. Some of Illinois's better players did not perform very well. I think Regardless of anything else that happened, free throws, fouls, no calls, whatever. You can't have Terrence Shannon and Coleman Hawkins combined for three for 17. You just that can't happen, especially when a guy like Perkins, who's not known as a volume scorer, goes off for 32 on the other team. You know, Keegan Murray was uh, sorry. God, I keep doing that. Chris Murray was relatively held in check. He had some foul issues too. Uh, he didn't play for, for extended periods of time. He had 19 points, but he was five out of eleven from the field. So most of his scoring was done from the line, also. I think they did a pretty good job on him. Rabracha had 13. So he he's like a 14 and 8 kind of guy. So I mean he was around where you would expect him to be. Perkins was the main guy. He did the most damage for Iowa. Um, Matthew Meyer, another excellent game for him. 21 for Meyer. He had 15 in the first half. He was averaging 18 the last three games prior to Iowa. So he's continued his really good stretch. 7-9 shooting. Jaden Epps, though. Jaden Epps is the real story offensively for Illinois. He has blossomed into a really fantastic player. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd mentioned this in weeks past that he has stepped up and been like a tertiary scoring option, a very reliable guy. He's going to the 10. I mean, he is really attacking the rim. He had, he had 12 in a row for Illinois at one point in the second half. And five assists to go along with those 16 points. So really loving what I'm seeing From Jaden Epps, you really have to be enamored with him. He's really stepped up since he was put into the starting lineup. But as I said, you can't have two of your top players go three for 17. Terrence Shannon played 30 minutes, goes three out of 10. Was not as aggressive, you know, going downhill. And maybe some of that was because of his foul trouble. Um, And then Coleman goes 0 for 7. Now he had... Six out of, uh, made six free throws, got nine rebounds. He had an okay game, but offensively, those are two guys that you rely on, and they just mainly were ghosts. And then you have a guy on Iowa's side, like Tony Perkins, who steps up on a night where Murray was not playing his best ball. He was limited due to foul trouble. He wasn't able to get his normal offensive game going. You know, Perkins has 25 points in the second half and took over the game. Give credit to Iowa. This wasn't a game that, like, Illinois choked or gagged it away. Like, it was just a really well-played game. And you, know, you tip your cap to Iowa, they win it. You know, that that's it. I mean, there's there are things you can point to and say, well, Iowa got, you know, this break here, this break there. But ultimately, it was a two-point game any number of things could have happened to sway the outcome. You know, you can't look at one moment or one play or one shot uh, and say, ah, 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 that was it, that was the one. You know, in a two-point game, it comes down to a, a number of different things. So Iowa did what they needed to do. They made plays when they needed to. Illinois missed some opportunities late in the game. And just leave it there. It's not a particularly damning loss for Illinois. Again, both these teams were similar in the standings. It wasn't, you know, losing to Minnesota or Nebraska. You know, it, it's a, you know, I, I think Illinois in general has more talent than Iowa, but that's the way things go. Purdue has more talent than Indiana, and Indiana beat Purdue on Saturday. So, I mean, it just, it just goes that way. So, I, I'm not going to split hairs about that. Um, I would love to see this match up again. It's a shame that the Big Ten only gave us one Illinois-Iowa game this year. Because um, we've seen, as I mentioned earlier, we've seen a lot of these clashes in the past, in, in the recent past, be really, really good and really intense, hard-fought games. And if that's a... If Saturday's game is a preview of a Big Ten tournament matchup, sign me up. Sign me up. And now you've got all this ticket stuff. <laughs> Which I'm not going to get into any more of. But that's that has injected new life into the rivalry. Certainly. I want to give credit to... Mark Edwards, he mentioned this in his game preview at the Champagne Room. This game went pretty much according to the stats he put in his piece. Iowa came in last in the conference in points per game allowed and field goal percentage allowed. They had given up 73 a game on average in the Big Ten and 45.3% field goal shooting from their opponents. Illinois shot 49% for the game and scored 79 points. So that was on brand. And Iowa, best in the Big Ten in points per game. They shot or uh, they score 80.7 and they finished at 81. They were sixth in the league in field goal percentage at 45.5%. They finished right at 45. They came in, Iowa, 11th in the Big Ten in rebounding. They were out-rebounded by Illinois, 37-26. to So, I mean, all of those things that you uh, would see in Mark's piece kind of played out exactly as you would expect. Illinois put up numbers that they should have put up against a subpar Iowa defense. Iowa did what they normally do. They shot the three fairly well. They made a ton of free throws, and they scored pretty much at their average of 81 points. And they were out-rebounded on the glass substantially. So, I mean, everything that you would expect to see from Iowa, you saw. And Illinois played a very good offensive game, just didn't do quite enough to uh, finish the fight and win the game. So, yeah, sign me up, man. I'm I'm all in for another matchup, not just because of the rivalry, but just because of what those games have become. They've become must-see TV, and I said this a little while ago. Iowa has embraced the rivalry as well. Just go back to 2020. Uh, it started the last time Iowa had won prior to Saturday was Super Bowl Sunday, so again, right around this time, three years ago, uh, I think McCaffrey had a dunk at the end of the game. After you know the outcome had kind of been decided, they just polished off the win with a uh, you know kind of a, a flashy dunk. Chin Coleman, then an Illinois assistant, got pissed off and was like <laughs> cussing out Fran McCaffrey during the handshake line, and things got very testy there. The rematch, Luca Garza gets his shot blocked by Kofi. That was the last game we saw in that season. That was that lasting moment because that was the last game we saw of the 2020 season. Illinois did not compete in the Big Ten tournament, did not compete in the NCAA tournament. So we're left with that image of Kofi stuffing Luca Garza in Champagne. 2021, Illinois beats Iowa in the Big Ten tournament en route to the tournament title and the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Illinois had beaten Iowa 80 to 75 earlier in the season in Champaign. No fans, but Iowa was a top 10 team at that point. And then you played them again in the Big Ten tournament and won. You go to twenty the uh, 21-22 season. I was at the game in Carver. It was a nice birthday present for me. I got to watch Illinois hang on and win against Iowa. It was a four-point game. Very exciting game. That was one of those December Big Ten games. They played again the last day of the regular season. Illinois wins by one to clinch the share of the Big Ten regular season championship. So these have been important games for both sides. But, you know, Illinois had recently had the edge over Iowa five straight. All of them except for the Big 10 tournament game were within a couple of possessions. So I mean, these have been very tight Very close games, competitive games, and the the rivalry has been recharged, renewed, reinvigorated the last several years. Um, Illinois and Iowa have had success, but they hadn't always had those successful periods at the same time. Like, Iowa's been ranked, Illinois's been ranked, but... We haven't seen until you know, really the last three or four years both teams be tournament contenders, big ten contenders playing each other at the same time, you know playing each other when when both programs are kind of at their highest level, and we're getting that now, so it's fun to see it's fun to see both teams that that do treat it like a rivalry both playing well at the same time. It makes things far more interesting. And again, I've mentioned this multiple times that I, you know, I'm a quad city guy. I'm from Illinois, but I'm, you know, certainly geographically closer to Iowa than I am to the university of Illinois. And that spillover, even on the Illinois side where I'm from is very much Iowa my parents were at a bar watching the game on, on Saturday and you know, in Illinois. And like I said, probably seven out of 10 people there were Iowa fans, including the owner of the bar, who's never lived in Iowa a day of his life, but he's an Iowa fan. So um, it's fun. This uh, ticket fiasco stirred the pot maybe more than was necessary, but I I am happy to see... Both teams have embraced the rivalry. Both teams seem invested in it. It makes things much better, makes things a lot more exciting, a lot more interesting. Sticking with hoops, I did want to shift to the women's side. They were in action twice this week as well, splitting a pair of games. First one in Ann Arbor against a ranked Michigan team this Thursday, this past Thursday. Uh, one of the uh, kind of the more lackluster efforts we've seen this season, 74 57, the final. Michigan really broke things open in the second quarter, outscoring the Illini 27 13. It took a 19 point lead into the break and really just held Illinois at bay from there. Genesis Bryant played all 40 minutes. Tied for the team lead with 18 points. Kendall Bostic also scoring 18 on 9 of 13 shooting. Really an off night for Makaira Cook. Just 2 for 13 Thursday night and 5 points. Illinois in general shooting just 23 out of 60. 38.3% on the night. And 24% from three, hitting just six out of 25. Uh, Only got at the free throw line six times in that contest. Leah Brown, really dominant for the Wolverines on Thursday. 27 points, five assists, four rebounds. Uh, She was 10 out of 13 from the field, seven of seven from the free throw line. Michigan shooting an even 50% from the floor. Uh, despite shooting three out of 17 from three point range. So they were very effective within two point range and shot a bunch of free throws, made 19 out of 22. Um, that was a game last week I mentioned, you know, talking about Illinois' schedule. They had two ranked opponents remaining. That was one of them. So Michigan doing what you would expect a ranked team to do. Though I will say, Illinois and Michigan came in with the same record. Both teams were seventeen and five, and both teams were seven and four in the Big Ten. So a little bit deceiving, but Michigan certainly playing like a team that had been ranked, that had been there before. Illinois, you know, showed signs of that uh, fall off just a little bit. They were able to come back and win. In Champaign on Sunday afternoon, 69-62 over Minnesota. Golden Gophers, one of the lesser teams in the conference standings, but gave Illinois a game. Very competitive. I had beaten Minnesota in the Twin Cities about three weeks ago, 70-57. But this one was, again, pretty close throughout Tied at the half, 35-35. Illinois outscoring Minnesota by 8 in the third quarter. Held the Gophers to just 10 third quarter points. That really helped uh, Illinois get a little bit of distance, a little bit of cushion. Uh, A lot of for Minnesota pretty much did everything for them. 24 points, 11 rebounds, a couple of blocks She was 11 of 17 from the field. She made half of Minnesota's field goals in that game. Uh, So without her, it would have been a drastically different outcome. And Illinois spreading the wealth around a little bit better than they did against Michigan. Makaira Cook led all scorers. I should say led Illinois with 21. Nice bounce back for her as well. 21 points, 8 of 8 shooting from the free throw line. Had 5 assists as well. Adalia McKenzie, really nice effort Sunday night for her. 20 points, 9 rebounds. She had 7 points in the fourth quarter. Kendall Bostick notching yet another double-double. 10 points, 10 boards. Genesis Bryant with 9 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists a block, and a steal, so she really stuffed the stat sheet on Sunday as well. Illinois only shot 41% for the game, 41.5%, but they were 56.5%, 13 out of 23 in the second half, held the Golden Gophers to 9 of 28 shooting in the second half, so that's really where that separation started. Again, Illinois winning 69 62, improving to 8 and 5 in the Big Ten, 18 and 6 overall. Five games left in the regular season, two of those at State Farm Center. So if you have a chance to see them compete, really encourage you to go out there and watch women's basketball. Uh, those home games will be. February 19th against Penn State and then February 22nd it's senior night against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Uh, Illinois' next game happens to be at Nebraska on Thursday and then they'll travel to Maryland to face the Terrapins on Sunday. So that game against Maryland, probably their toughest remaining game, at least on paper and then four very winnable games Out of those final five. Regardless of what happens the rest of the way. Illinois is setting themselves up for a pretty special march. I feel like it's almost certain that there'll be a tournament team. I'm talking NCAA tournament team. Maybe they'd have to win a game in the Big Ten tourney. But seems like their fate is sealed. They're going to be playing in March for the first time in 20 seasons. They'd already been ranked this year. May not see that again, but they were ranked for the first time since 2000. And this would be their first NCAA tournament trip in 20 seasons. So uh, congrats to the women. They have yet to lose back-to-back games this season. Uh, They've they've alternated wins and losses here the past month, lost to Ohio State, beat Minnesota, lost to Indiana, beat Northwestern, lost to Purdue, beat Michigan State, lost to Michigan, beat Minnesota. That's pretty hard to do, especially for a team that was thought to be rebuilding at the start of the year. Just amazing stuff from Coach Shauna Green and her crew. Just about time to wrap up the show. Before I do that, it is time to spotlight the Illini of the week. For the first time, showing some love to the track and field teams. Indoor season underway. The Fighting Illini were in South Bend, Indiana at the Mayo Invitational Friday and Saturday. And uh, a trio of victors for the Illini in that event. On the men's side, Tyler Cushing Placed first in the 5,000-meter run, 14 minutes, 7.37 seconds. Senior Tyler Sudath won the hammer throw with a distance of 22.69 meters. That is now second best in school history, 22.69 meters. And then Olivia Howell reigning... Dyke Edelman award winner as the female Illinois athlete of the year, picking up right where she left off a season ago. Winning the mile race, four minutes, thirty three point77 seconds. and that was just point03 seconds shy of a program record. So what three. Hundreds of a second off setting a new school record for Olivia Howell. If you don't know about Olivia Howell, go to the Illini Athletics website. Go to fightingillini.com. Check out her bio. Look at all of the accolades she has compiled in her career. One of the best, uh, certainly one of the best distance runners in the history of the school. And Illinois has got a long track record no pun intended of outstanding track and field performers she's one of the best to ever don the orange and blue seriously great stuff for olivia howell winning the mile run and just missing out on a new school record but congrats to those three alina athletes for their gold medal performances this weekend in south bend that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning into Oski Talk once again. If you would like to check out prior episodes, go to the Champagne Room, click on the podcast page. You can also download and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow the Champagne Room on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Got loads of Illini content for you every single day basketball season in the stretch run here about a month to go both teams preparing for march again one team we expected to be there one team not so much but uh, both teams have been compelling at the very least so uh, lots of basketball to talk about and i'm sure more news as it comes along next week until then i'm drew pastorek ill